This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Jamaica and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. This is an iHeart Original. On August 8th, 1999, a Haley police officer named Jason Jones gets a call. The dispatcher tells him he needs to report to the Liberty Theater, the movie palace owned by Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. There's a problem. There's a disturbance. A possible fight in progress. When Officer Jones arrives, it takes him some time to make sense of the scene. There are a number of men he recognizes, employees of Willis's, including members of his security team. They appear to be visibly angry. Their anger is being directed at two men Officer Jones doesn't recognize. One of those men is holding a camera. Officer Jones squeezes himself in between the two parties. He takes one of the strangers aside and asks him what's going on. The man identifies himself as Keith. Standing nearby is his partner, Brian. The two had been deployed to Haley to film a segment for the cable channel IFC. They're reporting on Bruce Willis's business dealings in the area. And so far, it's not going great. Brian recounts what happened before Officer Jones arrived. They were filming from their car when two men in a silver vehicle began following them. When Brian and Keith pulled over, the car circled the block and then pulled over right behind them. That was weird, but it got weirder. When Brian and Keith drove to the Liberty Theater, the car followed them. As Brian and Keith got out and began to film, some of the men ran up and tried to wrestle away their camera. In the police report, Brian said one of the men had insisted he was a licensed security officer who had a right to, quote, obtain them. So the security officer wasn't a stickler for the English language, but he still felt entitled to approach the filmmakers and attempt to confiscate their equipment. When questioned, the security guys said they were responsible for protecting Bruce Willis's properties. From what? From anything. 
even cable channels. Officer Jones referees the situation for a bit before sending the filmmakers in one direction and the locals in the other. Jones tells the filmmakers that the security men have promised not to follow them out of Haley. How reassuring. As strange as it sounds, this wasn't an isolated occurrence. Lee Schlender, a lawyer practicing in Haley, recalls that another journalist had once run into his office obviously distraught. He said, when I got out of my car down, downtown on Main Street, a couple of guys came up to me and said, uh, get out of here with those cameras. Uh, Mr. Willis doesn't like you newspaper type people around here. <laughs> Lee was incredulous. I said, well, wh wh what's this all about? I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, uh, he said it, that happened. And I said, oh, come on. He said, it did. I said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you go down there and drag your equipment out and just stand around and see what happens and then come back and tell me? Because I didn't believe him. Well, he came back in about, it couldn't have been 20 minutes. He looked roughed up, tore up. And he said, they smashed my equipment, roughed me up. They told me to get the hell out of town. And he wrote a big piece about it, and it was in one of your New York uh, newspapers. And the heading of it was something like, um, you don't want to come into Mr. Willis's town. Mr. Willis's town? Like everyone else, Lee thought he was living in Haley. So what exactly was Bruce Willis trying to hide? And why had the town of Haley suddenly become an impenetrable fortress where security idly attacked anyone asking questions. Wasn't this idyllic Haleywood? Well, it was, but not for much longer. For iHeartRadio, this is Haleywood, an iHeart original podcast. I'm your host, Dana Schwartz, and this is our final episode. Until further notice. It had all been so simple a year prior, when Haley was still in the throes of being Bruce Willis's pet town. His band jammed at the Mint. Shorty's was serving up eggs well into the night. The Liberty was putting on plays and hosting movie premieres. The E.G. Willis building was home to businesses and retail office space. Willis even owned a ski mountain. And after abandoning plans to resurrect his hometown of Penns Grove, New Jersey, Haley was, once again, the sole object of his affections. Things couldn't be better. On the surface, anyway. Beneath the flashing marquees of the Mint and the Liberty, there were whispers that things weren't going so well. That despite appearances, Willis's businesses were falling victim to mismanagement. That Willis himself was not quite the hands-on boss he needed to be, because he was busy being a huge movie star. Bruno was no longer minding the store. The first crack in the veneer came at Shorty's, the casual diner Willis had put up in 1996. For two years, the place had been the premier greasy spoon in town. Hubcaps lined one of its walls and the jukebox blared tunes from the 50s while patrons ate burgers and fries. 
Then, in the spring of 1998, Willis stormed in with a message. Everyone was fired. Go home. The words hit employees between the eyes. In classic Willis fashion, there was no explanation offered. One day, Shorty's was rocking out. The next, it was shuttered. The mint was next. That winter and spring, people walking by were surprised to see a notice posted on its doors. Closed for slack, it read. Slack is the regional phrase used for the decrease in business when it's too warm for skiing but too cold for summer tourism. Some businesses were seasonal just to avoid slack. But the Mint had never been a tourist-dependent destination. It was a rock and roll joint. To some Haley locals, closed for slack rang false. It was too pat, too easy. It was a little foreboding. And sure enough, there was another wave of layoffs. The Mint staff got pink slips and no indication of when or if they'd be asked to come back. Willis's big plans were put on hold too. He'd had buildings earmarked for a recreation center, for fitness and other pursuits, but those projects stalled. Plans for a Willis-owned hotel went by the wayside. The offices of Valley Entertainment, his local company handling Haley business, put up black sheets on its windows. Blocking out all natural light doesn't exactly scream, hey, we're in business. He even stopped paying for the annual 4th of July fireworks show. Only the Liberty remained fully open. It still played Bruce Willis and Demi Moore movies. And Moore's Victorian house was still stocked with 2,000 dolls. But locals who drove by the local airport, craning their necks looking for Willis's private jet, were claiming they weren't seeing it as often. The slack excuse was tossed around. People thought that the businesses would rebound when the tourists came back. Except in the winter of 1998 and into 1999, when you'd expect the Mint and Shorties to open their doors, they didn't. Not for long, anyway. The Mint reopened, but only briefly. Vacant spaces in the E.G. Willis building remained vacant. And that's when Haley began to think something was amiss in Haleywood. At first, it was just the local press who peppered employees at Willis's Valley Entertainment with questions. Mostly, they got the brush off. Willis, they said, was a fixture of Haley and would remain so. He wasn't going anywhere. But if he wasn't going anywhere, why were his businesses locked up? And why did anyone outside of town looking for answers get followed, harassed, or confronted and told to leave? What is it they were afraid of someone finding out? As the months went on and Willis remained silent, the national entertainment media began to pay attention to the story about the movie star who had swept Haley off its feet, only to leave it at the altar. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you everything that happened. One of the first journalists to head out to Haley was Nancy Rommelman. So I had gone for my first story for Bon Appetit magazine, um, I guess in like the, I don't know, winter of 97 or something like that. I can't remember. And when I was there, um, a lot of people were talking about Bruce Willis and Haley. And, you know, he'd come and maybe he wasn't there anymore. And it was just sort of like a topic of conversation. 
Romelman also wrote for LA Weekly, a well-respected and influential newspaper that covered a lot of Hollywood stories. It was full of fists-up, no-holds-barred kind of journalism. So when I was back in LA, I was talking to my editors at the LA Weekly, and he said, Nancy, don't you think that's a story? So I did. I went out to Haley, probably about eight months after I'd been there originally, and uh, reported on the ground. So there was Nancy, approaching Haley residents about the sudden disappearance of their benefactor. Some seemed agitated, cautious, like they were afraid of something or someone. But Nancy was used to getting reticent people to talk. She's a real pro. I happen to do stories that sometimes are around really difficult topics. I wrote a book a couple of years ago called To the Bridge about a woman that threw, you know, children off a bridge and killed one of them. I've, I interviewed John Wayne Gacy. Like, I'm used to walking into places where you're not just asking, like, how's the grilled cheese today? Turns out it's somewhat easier to talk to people about John Wayne Gacy than about Bruce Willis. When Nancy arrived in Haley, she found a fair amount of Willis apologists, still in awe and weary of criticizing him. Like, think about it. You've lived in this town or maybe 15 years, maybe your whole life, maybe generations of your family have lived there. And all of a sudden there's a movie star that comes and says, I want to be part of this community. Well, you're going to take them at face value, right? And this is pretty exciting in a sense. I mean, you, you can't help but be sort of starstruck. So I think people really wanted to appreciate that. And of course, there's, you know, the reflective sunshine. You go home and you say, oh my God, I saw Demi in the store today with her girls. They were buying tuna fish. I was buying tuna fish too. You know, it's it's sort of like maybe you're having this shared experience. But in reality, or at least the way it turned out in this case, you really weren't. Nancy said that many of Haley's denizens were also fed up. I would say... The majority of people I spoke with, and this could be the case, just like we know from, you know, Twitter or Yelp, unhappy people like to complain. So I I think I did get my share of sort of unhappy people uh, uh, speaking in in the article, too. One resident who went unnamed said Haley was, quote, a definite case of before and after, like you see in those magazine ads for plastic surgery. And it was Willis wielding the scalpel. At least Nancy wasn't followed in her car like the filmmakers who'd been run out of town earlier. No, but I was told to be careful about that. Now, well, you know, I just have to highly doubt there was a squad of Willis informants. But you know what? There could have been the, you know, the people like, hey, my pal, hey, you know, listen, do me a favor. Like, you know, just keep an eye out. You know, we want to keep things kind of private. Like, you know, if you think, if you see that someone's around here sniffing around, just let me know. Like some, like if you're in Goodfellas or something, it's like, oh, you know, the guy likes me. I better like, uh, I better do maybe what he wants. I have no idea. This is completely, you know, conjecture. And the informants or security guys or whatever they were hadn't just accosted Brian and Keith, the duo from the IFC. Andrew Gumble, a reporter for The Independent out of England, was also followed in his car, this time by two carloads full of supposed surveillance experts. They refused to offer him any explanation why he was being tracked and photographed as he weaved through town. When Gumble flagged down a police officer, they ran the license plates of his pursuers. And that's when speculation about the motives of these men turned into fact. The plates were registered to Bruce Willis. 
a security detail, had set themselves up as a sentry around Haley, warding off anyone posing uncomfortable questions. Brian and Keith had been lucky to leave town with their footage, escaping like two journalists evading a banana republic in a foreign country. But the IFC chose not to air it, preferring not to risk angering Willis. When journalists left town, they left without an answer. Willis wasn't talking, but he hadn't disappeared. Just the opposite. Bruce Willis was about to make a rather dramatic reappearance in Haley. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I.com. And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. It's September of 1999, and Willis's movie, The Sixth Sense, is in theaters across the country. You've probably seen it, 
It's about the kid who sees dead people. Naturally, it's playing in Haley at the Liberty Theater. Even though Willis had been evasive about his plans for Haley as of late, it's no surprise his big movie is playing in his opulent theater. What is surprising is that Willis is there. Not on screen, but in the flesh, handing out popcorn to bewildered audience members. Willis still owns the Liberty, hasn't given that up. And apparently one of his employees called in sick. So Willis stepped in to hand out concessions. Did anyone ask Willis what his plans were in Haley beyond handing out soft pretzels? It's hard to know, but they had to be wondering, right? I mean, his other businesses had shuttered. There was a kind of whiplash. It seemed like Willis was done with Haley until he wasn't. I think it's sort of like when you have a breakup with someone. Journalist Nancy Rommelman again. Let's say you break up with someone, but you really still kind of want to be with them. And like, you think you're broken up, but there could still be a chance. And then there's the point where you know there's no chance. Well, they were sort of in between the could be a chance and the no chance stage. Like the 75%, he's not coming back. But I think they still sort of wanted to keep a smile on their faces, keep the possibility that they could come back. But it was sort of like not in denial so much. There was just a little bit of hope still alive that that they would be coming back and that maybe, you know, maybe the town had done something wrong. Like maybe they hadn't performed exactly well enough. Like what could they have done better to make this work? And I, I, I think that's probably the wrong question. Um, but if you're these people, then you could understand them asking themselves that. The answers came pretty quickly. A few months before Willis was behind the popcorn counter at the Liberty, he had let go of something else. Shorty's, the 50s-style diner he had opened three years earlier. After rumors that it might become a pancake joint, it turned out the new operator was a local businessman named Jacob Greenberg, who pledged to keep the 50s aesthetic intact. Pretty soon, other properties were coming up for sale all Willis-owned, all located in Haley or nearby Ketchum. That's when Haley really started to take notice. This wasn't a trial separation. This was a divorce, and not Willis's only one. In June 1998, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore announced their separation after over a decade of marriage. The reasons varied depending on which supermarket news outlet you chose to believe. But in Moore's own words, it was just time. Willis moved into their guest house, Moore stayed in their home. Eventually, Bruce bought a property 10 miles away in nearby Ketchum. And suddenly, things started to make a bit more sense in Haleywood. Willis had fallen in love with the town around the time he had fallen in love with Moore. Maybe Haley was the home that once belonged to both of them, and it didn't feel like home to Willis anymore. Maybe it was just cleaner this way. Was this why Haley was being ghosted? Willis, true to his nature, would never say. Time passed. The millennium ended without a bang. Gradually, Haley became more of a vacation destination than a full-time home for Willis. He played a few dates with his accelerators, but the house he had shared with Moore seemed to be occupied mostly by Moore and their kids. 
Their divorce was finalized in 2000. And so it began for Haley. After over a decade of being Willis's personal project, the town had to prepare for life without him. There would be no more big movie premieres, no more announcements of Warren buildings being resurrected, no more excitement, no more Haleywood. After reopening a couple of times, the mint went up for sale. Soldier Mountain was donated to a nonprofit. The Liberty went to Company of Fools, the theater group Willis imported from Virginia. Through it all, he never, at least publicly, offered a reason why. Anyone wanting to know was getting strong-armed out of town. But if you talk to enough people, the answer can be found back where it all started, at the Mint. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, Hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. So I moved to New York where I promptly had my uh, my Jeep stolen, my wallet stolen, my passport stolen. <laughs> New York, even though I'm originally from New York, I grew up in Florida and then moved back to New York and it, it ate me for lunch in the beginning. Rob Cronin's life in New York City got off to a rough start in the 1990s. But as the new head bartender at Planet Hollywood in Times Square, the job perks made up for it. Perfect example on our grand opening party. At one point, you know, we had the cast of Saturday Night Live sitting at the bar. And you look down and it's like, oh my God, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Farley, uh, all those guys who I got to know you know, better over the years uh, there as well. And then the next morning, uh, after the grand opening party, I came in to set the bar up for regular business and Sylvester Stallone was sitting at the bar with Regis Philbin doing a live feed. And uh, you know, I'm behind the bar just setting up. Here's uh, this 24-year-old little old me. It was pretty neat. Pretty soon, Rob was commiserating with another bartender, Bruce Willis, who was then a partner in the Planet Hollywood chain, along with other stars, including his then-wife, Demi Moore. The first time uh, Demi ever came in the restaurant, uh, her plane was delayed. Uh, we were closing the restaurant down. These three women walk in. I don't, I've never seen them before, and I tell them, well, we're closed, and they asked if they can lurk around, and... So I started kind of giving them a little attitude. And then I looked closer and it was Demi in a trench coat and Dot Martin boots and her hair pulled back. I hadn't even recognized her. I was mortified. So I walked back up and said, well, since you own the place, I guess we could throw you a burger. And we became friends after that. She apparently was amused. It made a couple different magazines where she had said, you know, they didn't even recognize me in my own restaurant. And eventually she introduced me to Bruce. Bruce and Rob were kind of bartender brothers. Bruce knew what that life was like. And pretty soon, Rob was moving up the ranks of Planet Hollywood, opening locations in Chicago and Miami. Willis soon brought Rob to Haley to manage a restaurant Willis was about to open. Originally, it was going to be something simple, a steakhouse. But when Willis turned 40, well, some men buy a convertible. Others go bigger. It was, um, it was his birthday weekend when he turned 40. And the famous party planner, Colin Cowie, was in town. And he, uh, you know, he and Bruce and Demi just started talking. And uh, the concept literally changed in an afternoon went from, you know, a casual locals steakhouse saloon sort of feel to a high-end restaurant with a, a world-class nightclub on top. And we turned that around, uh, unfortunately, at Bruce's expense. You know, it was not cheap. The project was the Mint. Turned that around from uh, early May until we opened the week of 4th of July with you know, a couple of large, uh, really well-known uh, blues bands, 
Bruce's band. It was the busiest weekend of the year in Haley, between the rodeo and the Fourth of July parade, and it was wild. It was a tall order, but Willis and Cronin made it happen. No expense was spared to open the mint in a matter of weeks. And it turned out no expense was spared after it opened either. You know, when you open a business and you say you're not worried about it making a profit, that's a real fine line because it, you know, especially in the restaurant and bar business, all too quickly and easily with our thin margins, it goes the opposite direction. And that's actually what, you know, happened with the mint. It was, it became a, a monster. Bruce Willis treated the Mint like it was right in the middle of a busy metropolitan area, flying in high-ticket musical acts. But according to Rob, it was not a product-market fit. This community was not ready to support a $50 per person cover charge. So, you know, we would get to the point where, you know, all right, we're at $10 a head, and let's pat the joint and try and offset costs with liquor sales. And it just didn't work. You just don't have the volume in town you know, to, to cover that kind of overhead. And by the time you get through with, you know, payroll, payroll taxes and insurance and all that, keeping a 10,000 square foot building open, even at the height of species, and you're not going to pack it every night. You know, when we first opened, it was it was packed, and it was never covering the cost of the high end entertainment was never about getting enough bodies. It was just you know once again just getting enough bodies at that initially budgeted cover charge, and the public just wasn't willing to go there. I was the one you know in my position that had to drop the bomb on them that. You know, hey, we need ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars or more some months to cover the bills, primarily payroll. Willis had always wanted to throw the biggest, best party possible as a bartender in New York, as a TV star in California, and now as an A-lister in Idaho. But throwing a bash night after night is, well, expensive and unsustainable. In the end, Rob parted ways with the Mint, amicably. Was my ending at the Mint a little rough? Absolutely, but I've, you know, I, what I witnessed was, you know, maybe the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but the intentions were good. They really wanted to be a part of the community and give back and, you know, they sure showed it with their checkbooks. But in trying to make a small town feel big, Willis had turned Haley not into his own private Idaho, but his own private Hollywood, a town that ran on Bruce Willis. And suddenly, Haley wasn't his getaway. It was his responsibility. And that, more than anything, is why the relationship couldn't last. Other things changed for Willis at the turn of the 21st century. He still had a few hits, like Sin City and A Fourth Die Hard, but conquering the 80s and 90s had been the zenith of it all. Of the career that had gotten started with Seagram's commercials and sparring with Sybil Shepard on Moonlighting. Not long after a fifth Die Hard was released in 2013, it was called A Good Day to Die Hard, if you're keeping track, 
Willis moved on to another stage of his career. Rather than top-lining huge movies, he settled into a role as a familiar face in Geezer Teasers, a genre of video-on-demand movies that enlist major movie stars to work for a few days for a lot of money and then sprinkle in their scenes throughout. Willis was in six movies released in 2021, including Surviving the Game, Midnight in the Switchgrass, Out of Death, Apex, and Cosmic Sin, where he gets to put on a spacesuit again. This year, Willis even took one more step towards armchair acting. He licensed his image to a Russian cell phone company for an ad where he's tied to a bomb. But Willis never went near a set. Instead, Willis's deep, faked face was superimposed over a stand-in actor created with more than 30,000 images from vintage Willis movies like Die Hard and The Fifth Element. The man who once only wanted to drive an hour or so from Haley to a movie set now doesn't even have to leave his living room to appear on screen. Heck, he doesn't even need to get out of bed. Some speculate this process could be the future for all Hollywood actors. In fact, it's a common part of appearance contracts already. The commercial shows an image of Willis, the ideal image of a young, smirking Bruce, the image that was once the face of Hollywood and of Haleywood, the image that once literally overlooked the highway into town, but ultimately one that Haley never really got to know. In 1889, just a few years after gold prospector and businessman John Haley laid claim to the land, the town of Haley, Idaho was engulfed in fire. A blaze tore through the business district, destroying most of the buildings. Only bare stone walls were left standing. Idaho wasn't even a state yet. But Haley was resilient. Less than three months after the fire, new buildings began to spring up in their place. A lot of them were just a single story to save on restoration costs. But the point is, if Haley could do it once, they could do it again. Here's Lee Schlender. Because uh, the valley, if you think back its history uh, of being a mining town, it had always been boom and bust. You know, one day everybody in town, somebody strikes it rich and there's money. Two weeks later, they're all packed up and moved on. It, it was very, very much from that, uh, that Western motif, which was real. That, that was the way that the West was. And so people building big buildings or homes and then just walking away from them, not unusual at all. Um, it was a boom and bust society. More than a hundred years later, even after a Bruce Willis-sized boom, not much had changed. You know, it was just, he got tired of it and that's his right. If he doesn't want it, he doesn't really want to stick around here. Um, that's okay, but you know, we've, we've lived here. The people that survived have been through those good and bad times for 125 years. The Haley of today bears the marks of its Bruce Willis affair. The Mint is still on Main Street, now owned by developer Paul Conrad and his wife Jenny. 
Shorty's is still here too, now operated by Jacob Greenberg's son, Josh. So is the Liberty. So is that office building, now owned by someone else, but still referred to as the E.G. Willis. Like Lee said, through the good and bad, Haley remains. So what do we make of Bruce Willis, small town citizen with big time ambitions? He swept Haley off its feet before putting her back down with a lack of grace. He went there to get away, to feel normal, but then installed all the bright lights and glitz of Hollywood that he was trying to leave behind. Maybe, some said, Bruce Willis had a bit of a savior complex. He couldn't save Penn's Grove, his hometown, though he tried. So he found a place that may not have needed saving. Today, Bruce and Demi both maintain their own properties in Idaho. They even quarantined together during the first major wave of the pandemic in 2020. And their signed Willis may not be totally done tinkering. In March 2021, the county approved a long-planned private airport near Haley after lengthy debate of the economic benefit versus the environmental impact. Willis hasn't publicly confirmed he's behind the airport, but the application was filed by the Ixnay Investment Trust. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Haleywood. Please tell a friend to binge the show. I'm Dana Schwartz. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Dana Schwartz, spelled with three Zs at the end. And you can also find me hosting the podcast Noble Blood and sometimes as a guest on You're Wrong About or Hysteria. You can also read my latest novel, Anatomy, A Love Story, which comes out January 18th. And you should absolutely please pre-order or buy from your local indie bookseller. Check out some of our other iHeart original podcasts like Operation Midnight Climax, Newton's Law, and Black Cowboys. And keep your ears peeled for Big Brother, North Korea's Forgotten Prince, and What Happened to Sandy Beal. Haleywood is hosted by Dana Schwartz. This show is written by Jake Rawson. Editing by Derek Clemens, Mary Dew, and me, Josh Fisher. Sound design and mixing by Jeremy Thal, Derek Clemens, and me, Josh Fisher. Original music by Natasha Jacobs. Research and fact-checking by Jake Rawson, Austin Thompson, and Marissa Brown. Show logo by Lucy Quintanilla. Our senior producer is Ryan Murdoch, and our executive producer is Jason English. Special thanks to the people of Haley, Idaho, and all those who've shared their stories. Haleywood is a production of iHeartRadio. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.